0: We've been around the block as a podcast coming to you from the heart of the KZN Midlands. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Anthony Javi, and my very special guest today is Marlene van Ruren. Welcome, Marlene. Thank you. Dr. Marlene van Roen. <laughs> Marlene, very welcome. You're currently an entomologist employed by Corteva. How did you get into entomology?
1: I've started um, studying BUC biology. As my undergraduate studies and postgraduate, I continue with integrated pest management. It was a new course and it was just like a new world opening up. And I was also fascinated by the insects and the plants. And it's
0: its not like you were a, a bad person all your life. It's something that has developed over over time.
1: Yes, I never grew up on a farm. I'm from a small town in the Free State and the professors at the university and the influence they had and the guidance it just opened up doors and it's like a new world and insects are so small and sometimes we will overlook it we will see damage and we will try to find other reasons for the damage and maybe sometimes forget about that it's maybe insects so yeah and over time i really developed a passion for it and what can we do for a better future and for sustainable food production.
0: Right, right. I just think it's such a such a cool line of work. If I had to relook my career, certainly entomology would be in, in the shortlist for sure. Right, so so you're currently working as an entomologist for Corteva. How long have you been um, working in this position?
1: I've now been with the company for 10 years and my main focus is on Traits, whether it's soybeans or corn. And of course, focusing on the insects, mainly bujaula, fusca, and full armyworm, but definitely soybeans as well.
0: Right. So, the idea today is to go through the major pests that affect production of soybeans in South Africa. So, this podcast generally handles both soybeans and dry beans. And dry beans certainly have a lot more problems than soybeans. And so, the insect pests. That affect soybeans are basically just a subset of those that affect dry beans so this podcast should have some resonance with dry bean producers as well but today we're talking the major insect pests on on soybeans and so what i'd like to do is go through the pests that we have so we'll have the soil pests and perhaps look at cutworm as as being one of the major soil pests moving on to your leaf feeding insects and then finally to wrap up the show, what I'd like to do is just touch on the new traits that are coming into the market in, in soybeans, which is very exciting for soybean producers. We'll take a short break, and after the break, we'll move straight into cutworms. Today's episode is sponsored by Panar Panawha apply for plant breeders' rights on all their self-pollinated varieties that they bring to market. This includes their soybeans, their dry beans and their wheat varieties. A plant breeders' right is the legal framework that allows them to protect their innovations, giving them the sole or exclusive rights to sell these varieties for the duration of the right. In exchange, the Plant Breeders' Right Act grants the farmer a privilege to retain his own grain for seed on his own farm the next season. Farmers selling or trading or bartering seed of varieties which are protected by plant breeders' rights are violating those rights. Plant breeders' rights are vital to stimulate and protect innovation and companies like Panner would not operate in the self-pollinated crops without this legal framework for protection. So back to the show. Right, Marlene, catworm. So cutworm is a problem that not only affects soybeans, it's a production problem for all crops. What species do we have in South Africa that we call cutworm?
1: So we have the common cutworm, which is called agrotus egetum. We do also have like the brown cutworm, but it's not that... Widespread? Widely spread or a major pest. And then there's another cutworm that's called the black catworm, agrotus epsilon which is more prominent in the Americas, right. and is not that commonly found in South Africa, our main focus, and, or the major, major pest that we have, is our grotesiketum, called the
0: common cutworm. common cutworm. Right, okay. And so, what sort of damage does the cutworm do?
1: Cutworm, it's where they got their name from. They cut, they feed on the seedlings, and Roughly between 14 to 21 days of the emergence is when they can cause damage and basically
0: cut off the seedlings. Right, so you you really have stand loss? Yes. Yes. Okay. And so it's very much a seedling problem. And if you are worried about cutworm, it's very easy to diagnose cutworm damage. You'll see the fallen plants in the row. And very often when you just dig at the base of the plant, you'll find the cutworm lying curled up at the base of the plant.
1: Yes. And one thing that is that we can remember is uh, adult, the moths, do not cause any damage. It's the larvae of the pest that is the one causing all the damages and losses.
0: Right. Yeah. And so just looking at the life cycle, the moths will oviposit on a live plant, a green plant, and then... At some stage that egg will will hatch and the larvae are really nocturnal, aren't they?
1: Yes, they are part of the Noctuidae, the Lepidopter Noctuidae, so they are nights. And the lifespan of the larvae is roughly about thirty days or so.
0: And then the eggs will hatch and and then you have a larvae for roughly thirty days. And then these will mostly feed at night. And during the day they obviously crawl under the soil. And this is really to protect them from predation
1: right yes that is true and they lay their eggs not in egg masses but in single Single eggs on top of the leaves or maybe sometimes underneath the leaves and as you state correctly uh, during daytime they go underneath the soil and most of the damage happening during the night times or the very early mornings before sunrise
0: right okay you know, so one of the prevention strategies is to make sure that you have the field clear of green matter ahead of planting, right? So the, the general recommendation is that you, you till or cultivate your field a month before planting so that it is clear of green matter. And this is to stop the mice having place to oviposit and also it also then prevents any larvae that are already hatched from being able to live through to a stage where they could damage the next crop.
1: Yes, that is correct. So in general, they recommend for the fields to be cultivated 35 days before planting and keep them free of weeds and the volunteer plants until you plant. And then also, yeah, that will prevent the small larvae coming out and they starve to death before right. they can damage the crop
0: right so the other thing about cutworm is the polyphagous, right yes they are okay right so that means that uh, pretty much eat anything to give you an example like uh, we had a dog that was polyphagous. it would eat absolutely anything and actually when we come back from a run and take the shoes off to have a swim when you get out you find a sock missing and so <laughs> The dog would absolutely eat anything, right? And basically cutworm are not that dissimilar.
1: Yes. Yeah. So they are prolificus, and they they attack vegetables and other varieties like maize, sorghum, grain legumes, strawberries, cotton, tobacco, garden flowers and and weeds. Weeds,
0: of and course, weeds. weeds. And that weeds,
1: is the yeah. main source of host plant for survival and overwintering is weeds.
0: Right, okay. And so the crop only has a very short uh, susceptible period, so the first 30-odd days after emergence. What, what did the cutworm do then, thereafter? They obviously then move on and, and live off weed species or other. Who knows? They, <laughs> so they hide somewhere, right. So... Currently, the best way to control them is is to prevent them from actually being in the field. There are baits that can be used, but these baits are only effective if the, if the crop hasn't emerged yet. I think once the crop has emerged, the baits are ineffective because obviously the cutworm would choose a live seedling ahead of a bait.
1: Yes, they would rather eat a green leaf material than go for the bait.
0: Right, and then... The other option is to use an insecticide and very often the insecticides are or the action of the insecticide is quite moisture reliant and so sometimes the insecticides aren't that effective. So really you have to have an integrated strategy to be able to control cutworm.
1: Yes, nowadays of the control of insects, we cannot just rely on a single method of control like just removing the weeds, which will be cultural control.
0: Right. But
1: we need to rely more on an integrated pest management system, system. IPM, mm-hmm. which can include your chemicals like a bait or a spray or seed treatments, but also now our new BT technologies. And together with all of these different control methods together, the integrated pest management is the solution to go with and we need to use all of them in combination to strengthen our products to last longer
0: right okay and so rotation is not one of those practices because as we know catworm feed across many crops right right so if we needed to move on to the next insect pest which is important i think what we could do is look at the stink bugs. right so generally we don't have a massive problem with stink bugs. we have probably three stink bugs which are important do you want to run through them
1: yes so we have the green stink bug which is called the zara veridila mm-hmm. we have the brown stink bug and then the wilted tapota yes yes and the green stink bug in South Africa is not that major problem, but in the Americas, I know specifically in North America and South America, that is one of the major, well, not the major pests, but one of the primary pests. And that is a huge concern for those farmers in controlling stink bug.
0: So just as a, as a side here, you know, in South Africa, we have quite a lot of rotation going on with soybean and maize. And I think at this stage, with the low hectare of soybean, there's very few areas that have soybean on soybean on soybean. But I think as soybean grows as a crop in South Africa, we may well start having problems associated with continual soybean production. And this is where I think diseases and pests will will start picking up. And so it's probably a good idea, even though stink bugs are not a major issue at the moment, I think we need to be prepared for the time when uh, soybeans become you know a bigger part of the South African summer crop rotation,
1: yes, and stinkpot can definitely have economic importance in terms of the yield and the quality loss can occur due to the uneven fall and the die off of some of the seeds in the pot as a result of the feeding of this green bug. Yes. They have piercing sucking mouth parts. So they would it looks like a needle. They will insert it into the seed where they will
0: suck up the sap. Suck
1: up yeah, the sap and basically it will leave a feeding lesion. And that lesion open up for diseases or something else also to come in. So it's not just the pot that gets damaged, but also the opportunity for diseases and viruses.
0: So the first thing is obviously a quality issue, where if you have a lot of stink bug feeding, you will have quality issues in your grain. Um, On top of that, the site where the piercing has taken place is now a potential place for fungal or bacterial growth, right? So we spoke about the green stink bug. And then the brown stink bug. Um, the, the other one, which is slightly different in terms of the damage it causes, is the tip water. And in terms of stink bugs, this is probably the one that is easiest to recognize. So it is, it is a large stink bug, um, generally black with perhaps some coloring on it. And the damage is slightly different in that it pierces the stem fairly high up on the main stem.
1: Yes, and the feeding of course, tissue damage, leading to the wilting and the die off of the growing tip.
0: Right, and so when you walk into a field with tip water damage, it's very obvious, and and you might be confused that it could be something like uh, sclerotinia, but actually, when you have a look at it, you'll see it's just the tip that has wilted, so it's it's stopped the growth of the stem. Right, so let's move on to the insects which cause problems during the leaf feeding and pod feeding stages. And perhaps what we should do is, is, is separate the two. We just start with the insects, which are more leaf feeding insects. And, and I think perhaps we start with the lupus, right? So tell us about the lupus.
1: So there are two lupus that we have tested. And we have Chrysodexis, akita, and then we have Thysinoplusia, Oricale, and that is this cabbage semilupa. Right. And of the two species, what we have observed is that uh, Thrysynoplusia is a little bit more active or aggressive in feeding comparing to Chrysodexis.
0: Right, so that, that is the, the, the cabbage semilupa, right? Yes, mm. okay. and
1: if the best pressure is high enough that they yeah. can feed on a plant that is literally only sticks and veins left and no more green material
0: right so just for clarity soybeans are able to tolerate defoliation very comfortably in the vegetative stages in my checkered history i did work as a hail assessor and so i know that you can lose leaf material quite comfortably During the vegetative stage, but once it becomes reproductive, that's when major leaf loss turns to yield loss, right?
1: So the lupus are feeding on the leaf material, but in rare occasions, we did observe if there's a limited number of leaf materials, or if the plant are basically at the end of the season and there's a late moth flight coming through, they will feed on the pots. But general rule of thumb, they are not pod feeders, Mm. but we did observe some damage and that leaves us to the question, will it really cause any economic losses and how important it is? But once again, it's under really rare conditions, but the possibility is there.
0: Yeah, so the first choice would be to feed on leaves. But if you have that amount of leaf loss, you are going to have yield loss for sure. Right. Right, so those are the leaf feeders. Do we have any other leaf feeding pests?
1: Yes, we do have. We have the African bullworm, or in other countries they call it the old bullworm, which is also a foliar feeder, which can cause a lot of foliar losses, but also they are feeding on the pots. And I think it, it's more important to control them on the pots than on the leaves because yeah. that is where all the losses are coming in.
0: You know, leaf feeding will result in yield losses eventually, right? But uh, pod feeding is direct, okay? It's a direct loss of yield. And so that's why the bulbworm control is is critical in soybean production.
1: Yes, if you have a really high, high infestation, sometimes up to 80% of the pods can have damage, sometimes only surface damage and sometimes actual feeding where you can lose an entire pot.
0: Okay, that would be devastating. And currently, most South African farmers would spray after flowering at some stage, at least one spray to control bollworm.
1: Yes, the farmers will spray for um, at least once for the control of the pests.
0: Okay, and one of the problems with your lupus and your ballworm is that by nature they're very sporadic.
1: Yes, the ballworm and the lupus are sporadic pests. Different seasons there will be like a major outbreak and then there can be a year or two or three where they will always be present but in very low numbers that it's almost insignificant and then it just like a season whether it's uh,
0: environmental conditions. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, very often you find it in the strangest places where you don't have natural predation or parasitism that all of a sudden you have an outbreak of something like lupus or bollworm, right?
1: Yes, that's definitely possible. And we have observed that in one field we have found ballworm and actually three different lupus species all together at the same time in one field.
0: Yeah, there's no social distancing there.
1: (laughs) No social distancing. And that sometimes can complicate the control. And maybe the pest pressure is not that high of one species, but together, all these different species together together, If you look at them as a complex um, species diversity or the complex feeding on the crop, together they lead to a high pest pressure and that can be devastating.
0: And that the sporadic nature of the infestations is really why all farmers spray, because they just don't know whether they're going to get it or not. And actually, once you have really large larvae in your canopy, it's quite difficult to actually control them.
1: Yes, and scouting is really important and sometimes it can be difficult if the larvae are small to, to do early detection and to be proactive and sure and sometimes when you go into your field and you really find the big larvae it's so difficult to control them and sometimes not possible. We know from corn if a larvae reaches a certain stage Same. or a size, the control is almost ineffective. Mm -hmm. So it's better to control them when they're small, but it's so difficult to observe them. And even if you are not sure where to look and because of the crop canopy can also make it difficult for you to do um, active scouting.
0: Right. And so this is the other reason why farmers generally do it as, as part of their practice.
1: Yeah, so we do need to be cautious and take care of, we call it non-target organisms, Correct. and which is beneficial to the environment. And when we spray chemicals to target the pest and not just to spray in a broad spectrum and keep in mind that we need to have environmental stewardship and look after the environment and make sure we conserve all these natural non-target organisms.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right, so I think we've probably dealt with the major pests of soybeans. One of the new developments in the soybean market has been BT soybeans, right? And so in maize, we've had the BT trait present for the last probably, I'm guessing, 20 years already. And we've been through several iterations of BT traded products in the maize market. But for soybeans, this is brand new and it's very, very exciting So we don't have massive insect pressure like they perhaps have in Brazil where they have multiple crops in a year. So we do have some buffering, but still insect pests are problematic and the BT offers a solution to the Lepidopteran insect pests. And right now there are two offerings in terms of BT. And the first is Intacta Pro, which is a BT product and by Bayer. And the other is Conquesta E3. And I know that I can't expect you to to discuss Intacta Pro because it's not one of the products that you deal with. But we can look at Conquesta E3. And now Conquesta is the BT part of, of the new trait. It is a complex trait which includes three herbicide resistances combined with two BT proteins for insect control. I think that in a future podcast, I will deal with this entire trait complex. But today, since this is a insect-specific podcast, we will deal just with the BT side of this complex. And for simplicity's sake, we will just call that Conquesta. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Conquesta part of it?
1: So conquesta was developed to control lepidopteran species and for South Africa we are looking specifically as we have mentioned now at the African bullworm and some lupus. We have done multiple years of studies and at this stage I can unfortunately not discuss the data or the results, but it's a really exciting product that is coming to the market. The farmers can definitely benefit. And as I've stated in the beginning, for the future going forward, we need to look at integrated solutions. You can't just rely on a single control method, whether it's like your cultural control, chemical control, biological control, or with your BT technologies coming in. We need to look at these holistically, at all of these different components, and use them responsibly to ensure sustainable food production going forward.
0: Right. So you mentioned, you know, stewardship and sustainability. So I think most farmers would understand the need for a refuge because this is this has been part of the maize cropping program that if you used BT maize, you would need to use a refuge, and the same principle applies to soybean
1: yes definitely for any insect bt control trait a refuge portion will be needed and that is to ensure no resistance will develop or if it might develop that it we can delay resistance development right and we have seen from the mice production that that the refuge do work if you do follow the guidelines that that is set there for us to use, and it will definitely delay things going forward.
0: Yeah, so with Conquest we actually have two uh, BT proteins, which is also part of the strategy to delay resistance buildup.
1: Yes, working with a multiple mode of action is better than just a single mode of action, and that due durability. Yes. Will also prolong and enhance the traits and the crop going forward.
0: Yeah, and so that's a principle actually which goes across the board, works.
1: independently of the crop, uh, yes. whether it's corn or cotton or rice. It independently of the crop you're working, the principle, as you say, working yeah. with multiple mode of actions will definitely contribute to prolong the
0: durability. Right, and actually it also works across different things, so. If you look at fungicides, if you have a multiple mode of action fungicide, that would reduce the probability of resistance buildup in the fungi and it will work the same with insecticides and obviously also with Bt. So that's a great principle and it's really nice to see that, that Corteva are bringing out a double protein Bt for soybeans.
1: Yes, and these proteins are insect or target specific.
0: So, you know, everybody is worried about the bees. So BT doesn't affect bees, right? No, they don't. Okay, so that's wonderful. Right, so it's a very clean technology, and we really are looking forward to the launch of Conquest E3. What I maybe just add is that the E3 part of it relates to three genes for resistance to herbicides, and so the herbicides involved in in E3 are glyphosate, glufosinate, and then 2,4-D, and so the E stands for ENLIST, which is, which is a brand new formulation of 2,4-D. For right, I think it's perhaps time to wrap up the show. Do you have any final thoughts on the technology?
1: I think technology is the new future to go, and I'm really excited about the new pipeline coming through and to see how we together can ensure sustainable Crop production and of course food security. I think that is the main thing is to feed a nation.
0: Absolutely. And as the production in soybean increases, we are gonna have new stresses and new strains that we haven't been exposed to before. And so it's really important to make provision for those. Right. Marlene, if anybody needs to get hold of you, how best would they contact you?
1: They can send me email. It's marlene at corteva.com.
0: Right. Okay. Thank you, Marlene. And if there are any questions about the podcast, you can get hold of me at anthony.javi at Right. And I think to wrap up the show, it's been wonderful chatting to you. And until next time, it's been a gas. Take care. <music>